It's the difference, the intersection of politics and economics, Wall Street, K Street, and your street all rolled into one. I'm Dan O'Donnell, alongside Dave Spano. He is the president and CEO of Annex Wealth Management. And this week, a lot of the talk isn't just about the debt limit on uh, K Street. It's not just the talk about what's going on in Washington. And of course, you know, everybody's concerned about the Fed. But one of the big financial stories is Google laid off, well, Alphabet, the parent company of Google, laid off 12,000 workers on Friday, Dave. And the question that has been debated pretty much ever since is, is this sort of a harbinger of doom for tech? Even the unquestioned monopolistic giant of search, one of the biggest companies in the entire world, is this a harbinger of doom for tech or is it, as weird as this sounds, corporate right-sizing at the absolute highest level? Can you imagine if uh, not only Google, but Amazon and the rest of these companies taking this opportunity to right-size, right? And so uh, do we see that across the country is going to be the next question. The Fed clearly wants to raise unemployment rate. I mean, that, that's they've said it. They're trying to go through what's called demand destruction because it is a big part of inflation is the service sector. The service sector represents about 60% of inflation. That's where it comes from. 20% is goods and 20% is from food and energy. And that's why they keep throwing food and energy out. They want the unemployment rate to go up, which is just bizarre in and of itself. But that's what they're trying to do because of inflation. Now, my problem with it, Dan, is they're taking a hammer to this potential problem. It's more than that. It's not yeah. just higher interest rates are going to solve the problem. We have uh, we have a demographic problem. We have an immigration situation. We have these companies, these tech companies, all of them on, on the West Coast, probably overhired and had work from home issues. I do think we're, I do think they're right sizing as part of this conversation. Yeah, and I think Elon Musk sort of led the way. What was one of the very first things he did after yeah. taking over Twitter? Yeah. He got rid of you know one of you know five hundred of the company's diversity coordinators. Right. I mean, let's face it. There's a whole lot of woke in these in these companies based in Silicon Valley, San Francisco. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's a lot of stuff. And are they U.S. citizens? I talked to somebody who no, works. For them, question. that's a great question. Right, they said maybe some of the some of these folks are imported, are contractors, are for example, and they're they're letting them go who don't have work visas to stay yeah. here. So that that might be part of the story that no one seems to be covering well, right now. That's actually that's actually a great point and, and something, admittedly, I hadn't considered that a lot of these work visas are expiring. Maybe they were sort of extended throughout the pandemic. Maybe they were, you know, there's you know emergency appeal that you can make, hey, we really need to keep yep. Google going. We need all of these engineers from you know, Sri Lanka or wherever. Exactly. But I'm talking about what Musk, what he said was, and, and I must have seen, everything Elon Musk does now results in like 500 think pieces, <laughs> right? right? Like literally everything the man does. It's like, you'll see it, you'll see it on Forbes in five different pieces. You talk about a company that might be able to right size how many different liberal opinion writers do we need at <laughs> Forbes.com. But I saw a whole bunch of articles right after Musk came out and said, look, we are stripping down 
our workforce to the bare essential functions. What is it that we do as a company? In terms of Twitter, we provide short messages and videos that allows people to connect with each other. It's sort of the news ticker for the 21st century. This is what we do. Everyone who is not directly involved in that function is superfluous and unfortunately, as cruel as it sounds, is a non-essential worker. And what that sparked was a whole lot, hey, you know, small business owners, should you be like Elon Musk and strip down to the bare essential? You know what I'm saying? Like, yep. is this something that if companies at the absolute largest and the absolute whales of the global economy like Google are right-sizing, is this something that we're seeing, sure, by necessity because of the rise of interest rates and the expected slowdown in economic activity, but is now the time that, that companies really went on a hiring binge post-COVID and are realizing, hey, maybe now that business is going to start to slow down, we should be like Musk, we should be like Google. So that, that is the question, and, and maybe the technology whole industry, which was frankly overvalued, it represented 27% of the market cap of S&P. And now there has to be a, a, right, a, a correction to that. But does that mean that a tool and die manufacturer in Wisconsin is going to do the same thing as a West Coast technology company? I don't know. I mean, if they still have their orders and they still have to fill yeah. their orders and they don't have the talent to do that, it's a it, quarter point higher interest rate another quarter point is not going to change their mind they have to fill their orders and number and number 2 they went through years where they couldn't find talent and so they are That's true. and so these, there's a are, bunch are of stuff still, going on let, let me ask you this are we still seeing the worst effects of what we kept hearing about really pre-pandemic and then you know march 2020 sort of changed everything the skills gap especially in if you're listening to us in wisconsin we heard about this so often aging workforce we're not producing enough stem graduates the the, the changing nature of what jobs are in demand are we still seeing a big skills gap no doubt about it and that's the reason why i said that's not just they, this tool that the fed has this quarter point move or 50 point move that does not change skills gap immigration issue demographic issue in other words the baby boomer said that's enough i'm throwing in the towel or yeah. or the work from home there are structural issues here we still i mean i don't care what side of the aisle you're on the, the we need an immigration reform policy and, and and does that mean we have to go to Eastern Europe to get workers? I mean, does I mean there's a lot that goes into this to try to to try to fill this skills gap, and you're probably seeing it as we talked about with, with these tech companies on the West Coast. Where did they go to get their employees? That's another issue. Yeah, and it's a it's a real big issue that I think we're just sort of starting to. Uh, graphs. Now, in the immediate future, we're looking at the Fed's meeting, what, January 31st, February 1st. Right. What do you think is more likely, quarter or half basis point? Quarter point. And, there, and there's a lot that goes into that, is, is they can now start to slow down. They had seven rate hikes last year. They have 25 basis points baked in for sure on Feb 1. And then they don't meet again until March 23rd. But there, there's, a, there's a number of data points that they're going to get to look at. And one of those is the employee cost index the day before January 31st that comes out and what they're trying to do is make sure that companies aren't passing through the inflation through wages so for example we have this wage price spiral going on yeah 
And that's what happened in the 1970s, and, and it got out of control. So they right. don't want to repeat what happened in the 1970s. So they may hike and hold. But the whole idea of a pivot, like the Treasury market is suggesting later in the year, will have that. that's going to be a tough sell. They're going to have to hike and hold and make sure they stay at higher rates until we see this start to ring out. Because otherwise, companies, employees are demanding raises. The companies are giving them, but then they're passing that on through a higher product cost. That's the wage price spiral. To 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 what extent are we already in a wage price spiral? Though? Yeah, because they're they're arguing they're arguing that we're not quite there yet. And uh, but but there's no question they're passing it through. I think that's more than obvious that's being passed through. But you now you're starting to see a contraction. We are are in uh, the PMI for manufacturers, that's already in contraction mode. Service industry, already in contraction mode. So there is so many signs that are showing that we're going to have a major slowdown as we go into the rest of this year. The question is, can they pull a rabbit out of their hat and have a soft landing? It's, it's a small percentage chance that they're going to do it, but that doesn't mean we can't be contrarians. You know, something I've wanted to ask you for a couple of weeks, Dave, the fact that everyone in the world seems to be predicting recession in 23 or recession in first quarter of 23 get even more specific recession yep. by march of 2023 uh, okay that's yeah. that's rather I, I don't remember anybody predicting the great depression with this level of specificity it yep. seems like long deep recessions really sneak up on us same thing with 2008 lehman brothers collapse and all the havoc that that wreaked is the fact that we are better able to prepare for what we have been long expecting does that soften the blow somewhat? Like, uh, yeah. For example, are are we the squirrels that have been busy storing nuts for a long winter? Yeah, yeah, and, and they're full of Bolshevik that they think they can tell us exactly down to the month when that's going to happen. I mean, most economists are now saying the slowdown is going to be on the second half of 2023. And now we're starting to hear perhaps even 2024. So to take that with a grain of salt, they, they clearly sure. don't know. The Fed doesn't know. These economists, you know, there's an old saying about economists if you line them all up. So, you know, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't put a whole lot into that. But I would say for sure that there is demand destruction, that there will be slowdowns for certain. And so we'll have to start to look at how far and how deep that happens. But as you said, anytime that there is so many people predicting one thing, it usually doesn't happen, but the the odds are not good that they're going to get a soft landing. In other words, a slowdown. But you know what? The flip side of that is, if they get a soft landing, stagflation, a stagnant yeah. economy with higher inflation. Because where are oil prices? Oil prices are crudes in the 80s. There is you know China's coming back online. We could see crude at 110, 120. That's inflationary in and of itself, as well as the employment market is going to stay strong. So they're in a trick box partly that they created. In a couple of days, we do get the uh, fourth quarter 2022 GDP number. Yep. That's expected to come in actually reasonably healthy, 2.5%. Yep. Mm -hmm. What do you make of that? Is that at least filling you with a little more hope? We think that we're going to have positive GDP, which just means slowing down. And aligning with that as well is operating earnings. You know, earnings, we're in earnings season as we speak. That operating earnings are expected to be about 3.5% in line with GDP growth. So that is a good sign. So there is a possibility that we have modest 
growth, slow, you know, back to the, the Obama days, slow, modest GDP growth with higher inflation. That's something that they haven't had. But the sea change that I pounded the table on and will continue to pound the table on, it is a sea change to go from quantitative easing, all of this free money that came out, literally free money, 0% interest rates, to quantitative tightening is a whole generation of people haven't seen this. So it is going to matter where you invest and how you invest. And that's why we always tell you that you want to always be looking over what it is you own, why it is you own it, not just if now is the time that you need to start living off of the money that you spent a lifetime accumulating, that wealth that you have worked so hard for, but also if you're in my situation, I'm a 41 years old, uh, people my age and younger, we have got a long time uh, to keep accumulating that wealth and hopefully not have to dip into retirement savings anytime soon, but you always need to be an active investor. Set it and forget it is isn't something really that you can do anymore because of the changing nature of technology and and all of that. So we really do urge you to go to AnnexWealth.com, get that free wealth metric. We were talking about this a lot on the podcast last week, Dave. And speaking of that changing technology, Microsoft uh, just announced, I think, even more investment in OpenAI, which uh, has obviously created uh, ChatGPT, which if you are not following ChatGPT and the implications of artificial intelligence technology that this, and also DAL-E, which is the, the art generator, the AI art generator, you really do need to be paying attention. This is what we're talking about. Technology is moving so right. lightning quick. Dan, did you see that ChatGPT passed a Wharton MBA exam? I mean, outrageous. No, yes. I didn't see that. Yeah, I'll, I'll, You're I'll, kidding I'll, me. Yeah, I'll have to send, send me the link. Oh I'll send you the link. Yeah. No, I didn't. It's, it's staggering the level at which this AI. I said last week, I'm not worried about a Matrix slash Skynet situation yet, but it would not. All I'm saying is we should not give ChatGPT a 3D printer because <laughs> it might start creating Terminators. I'm just saying we're about six months away because this is what it's a learning AI. And it's not just artificial intelligence that's programmed to do one thing. It can only do, because this has been artificial intelligence forever. The artificial intelligence is programmed to learn. It is advancing its own knowledge at a level infinitely beyond even millions of human minds. I mean, the, the implications of that are just incredible. But for right now, we're going to have to leave it at that. Expect us in the next few months and years to be talking quite a bit about not just investments in artificial intelligence, but the way that it is disrupting everything. And we will, of course, talk about all of this, how technology, how politics, how economics, all of it impacts you. That's what we do here on The Difference. I'm Dan O'Donnell for Dave Spano. Thanks so much for listening. Annex Wealth Management is a registered investment advisor. For more information about our firm, please visit AnnexWealth.com. The information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is subject to change without notice. Opinions expressed are those of the participants and don't necessarily reflect those of Annex Wealth Management, its producers, hosts, or guests. The host of the podcast is compensated for his endorsement of Annex Wealth Management. Information presented should not be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice, or a recommendation or solicitation for the sale of any product or strategy. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from qualified professionals to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Investments involve risks. 
Neither Annex Wealth Management nor its podcast participants shall be liable for losses resulting from decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on this podcast.